especially on college campuses, there's this very strange separation between the left and the right to the point where the right is like almost non-existent or at least doesn't have any representation and they're actively shunning that representation like they're pushing people out I know what's going on with you in Berkeley has that mm-hmm, been re- mm-hmm. has that been resolved yeah I think that uh, so, so Berkeley after the publicity they said they're going to well, explain try and... to people if they don't know the whole story yes yeah, so, so UC Berkeley if you recall last year I, I actually spoke there before any of this happened I spoke at UC Berkeley in like April 2016 uh, and then Milo was supposed to speak there and he actually went there and there was a riot where Antifa uh, infiltrated the the student community, and there are all these pictures of them bombing things and you know blowing up cars and or setting them on fire at least and, and yeah. throwing things at windows. And so Berkeley shut down that event for safety reasons. Then Ann Coulter wanted to speak there, and they basically used what they call time, place, and manner restrictions to stop her. They kept saying, "Well, we have safety problems. We can't figure out how to do the event." And in the end, they just canceled it because they didn't have security. And then. Young America's Foundation, which sponsors me to go to a lot of these campuses, they said, we want Shapiro to come. And again, I spoke there like a year and a half ago, and they gave them two and a half months advance, and Berkeley said, well, we have no venues available. And so this seemed to be another cover for we're not going to allow a conservative on campus because there are security problems. So we made that public, and then Berkeley said, no, 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 no. Well, we'll make, we'll make sure that you get in. They gave us an alternative venue, and they even said they'd cover the security fee because they didn't like the bad publicity. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, so that should be good. Well, you know what happened with Jordan Peterson yesterday. Yes. Yeah, just yesterday, Jordan Peterson was banned from YouTube. And um, YouTube has a new policy that uh, I, it's very it's very weirdly worded, but apparently they're allowed to block and restrict any kind of videos that are about religion or that could be deemed offensive, which is almost everything. Yeah, that's right. Anything that's remotely, I mean, anything that's interesting is is going to be offensive to somebody. So it won't be monetized. It also won't be in the videos of interest or... I know they did this to uh, Prager University as well. They had blocked like 10 of their videos a couple of months ago. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, I mean, this is nasty stuff. And listen, YouTube's a private company. They have the right to do what they want. But don't proclaim that you're a free speech promoting institution if you're going to block people like Jordan Peterson, for God's sake. I mean, well, the, the problem is they're not blocking things that are offensive to other people. They're, they're not blocking certain things that are representing Islam in a positive light. That's right. Or there's, there's a lot of weirdness with this left-wing choice of what to censor and what not to censor. And it's, it's not just dangerous, it's also bad for the whole idea of being a progressive or being a liberal, because it makes you look it makes them look really petty and really weird and really uh, resistant and hesitant to actually have real debate. Yeah, for sure. I and mean, this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm very meticulous in my terminology about people who are on the other side of the aisle. I actually separate people who are liberal from people who are leftist. So when there are people who try to ban speech, I call them leftist. And if they are not interested in banning speech, then they're liberal, meaning they, they want bigger government. They disagree with me on politics, but they're still willing to have a conversation. They want an open forum. People who are on the hard left think that it's actually an insult to their identity to disagree with them. And this is what I experience sometimes on, on campuses, you know, Cal State L.A., where there's a near riot when I speak, or University of Wisconsin, where people storm the stage and stand in front of it and won't leave, or Penn right. State, where we have, again, another near violent incident over at Penn State, or DePaul, where they actually banned me outright. So sometimes you get this routine uh, from people who think that they, they conflate their viewpoint with their identity, and then... If you have a differing viewpoint, you're denying them their humanity. And it's like, no, I'm not denying you. I just think what you're saying is dumb. Like, That's can, a can we... very good point. That's a very good point is that they have their identity completely connected with their ideology. <clears throat> and when you oppose these people, when you have these debates with these people, what's really fascinating is the level of hysteria that gets reached while you're staying calm. 
yeah, that's what I've noticed is, is that there's a ton of, you know, I, I tend to keep relatively calm just as a human being. And very often when I'm debating someone, you see them getting more and more and more emotional. And people on the right love this because, of course, it's the triggering of the snowflakes. Right. But the easiest thing in the world to do is trigger some idiot college kid who doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. And it, what's, what's hard to do is actually discuss issues with somebody who's intelligent enough to make the, to make the point. But it's, it, it, the, the level of hysteria on the campuses has really increased. I mean, I now have to travel with two members of security to every campus just because you don't know which campus is going to go off. I never had to travel with security before. It's the weirdest thing in the world. How long ago did this start happening? Uh, well, <coughs> February of 2016 is when I started traveling with security. So I spoke at University of Missouri. They, remember, they had the big blow up at, at University of Missouri uh, with Black Lives Matter taking over campus offices and suggesting that there was some sort of big racism problem at, at Mizzou, which is just ridiculous. And so they flew me in. I did a speech there. And then the next time I spoke was Cal State LA. And they brought in a couple of security guys. And I was like, what do I need security for? I mean, I'm just speaking on a campus. Who cares? We get to the campus. And they had already tried to cancel my speech because of security. And I said, I'm coming anyway, so tough. I had to be escorted in by 20 armed police officers. I had to be escorted off campus by motorcycle cops flashing their lights. There were 300 students who had blocked all of the entrances, were physically assaulting people trying to get into the theater. The police had to sneak the students in two by two into the theater. They told them that un until I left the campus, they couldn't actually let the kids out of the theater because they were afraid that if they let the kids out of the theater, they'd be attacked as they, got, as they were released. It, it was, that one was pretty wild. So after that, it was like, okay, well, I guess the security is necessary. Wow. What is shifting? Like, what, what, is, what is ramping things up? I think the identity politics is ramping things up. So I think there's a new mentality out there. It's this intersectionality politics on the left that says that there are a bunch of victim groups, basically. Right? There are blacks and Hispanics and gays and Jews and Asians. They're all victim groups. And we get those all, all those people together to attack the system because the system is keeping them down. And, if you, and, and there's a hierarchy among these victim groups. And if you are a straight white male, you're at the very, very bottom of the hierarchy in terms of viewpoints that should be acknowledged because you're the creators of this vast white supremacist system that keeps down everybody else. So if you're a black woman, you're near the top, right? If you're LGBT, you're at the top. If you're a white guy and you challenge the viewpoint of a black woman, your viewpoint is an attack on her identity. And therefore, she has the right to shut you down. And so the idea is that your words are violence to her identity. And therefore, she has the right to react. This is the, the term you hear on campus a lot is microaggressions. And this idea that my opinion microaggresses you. Now, even that terminology, I think, is really stupid because normally in regular life, we would say that's insulting and you said something I don't like. The terminology microaggression suggests aggression, like I'm actually doing something aggressive to you. And the rational response to someone aggressing you is to use physical force in response. And so you start, you start to see a more violent response. I think that's it's been growing in our politics. I think there's a reactionary side on the right that's, that's growing. If there's an identity politics on the left that says... You know, black identity politics, gay identity politics, female identity politics. I think you're starting to see in some areas of white identity politics that's almost formed in response. Like, okay, well, if everybody else gets to have their identity politics, why can't we defend ourselves on those same grounds? I hate that shit. I mean, I think yeah, it's terrible. I hate that shit, too. And I would like to find the person who invented the term microaggression. Because <laughs> <coughs> that fucker, whoever it was, they, they, they created quite a mess. Now, I'm sure you saw what happened at Evergreen with yeah. uh, Brett Weinstein, where, where literally the left is eating itself. And that's where it gets crazy. It's like you're not progressive enough unless you're literally submitting to leaving your class because you're white. Like, you can't be there because you're white. They want a day of absence, meaning the professors, the white people. And then when you don't do it, you're somehow or another racist and a Nazi. I mean, the whole thing is, the whole thing was very bizarre to watch, but, but not 
not surprising because you see it so much so often all over the country right now. And it's almost like some new flower of ridiculous thinking and behavior yep. has blossomed and it's in bloom everywhere. And when people can point to it existing in other places like in Missouri where that woman, uh, what was her name, Crick? Was that woman who got the, the Melissa, Melissa yes. Click, yeah. Yeah, whatever her name was. That, yeah. When you see it in video, when you see her on video saying, can we get some muscle over here? <laughs> exactly. Like, this is fucking insane. Like, you're you're telling a photographer, uh, uh, and by the way, a minority, an Asian yeah, man. Asian guy, yeah. Asian man taking photos of a, a public place that you've created some safe space. But it's 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 this weird thing where it's half of it is identity politics, but it's also wrapped up in this need to control people and control people's behavior, control their vernacular, control the way they communicate and how, you know, how much you give in to groupthink. It's, it's weird. It, it's, it's scary. And Jonathan Haidt, who's a social psychologist over at NYU, he did a really good piece for The Atlantic in 2015 about this phenomenon, this kind of safe space trigger warning phenomenon, this idea that you must never be forced into a position where someone has an idea that opposes yours. And what he said is it basically makes people crazy. You know, it actually makes you crazy. That, that The idea in psychology is that if you have a chain of thoughts leading to a bad outcome, if you're depressed, right, if you're depressive, then you have a chain of thoughts leading to a bad outcome. The way that psychologists deal with that is with cognitive behavioral therapy. They say, okay, where in this chain of thoughts are you going wrong? Are you attributing to somebody a motive they don't have? Right? Is your wife really being nasty, or is it you just attributing nasty to her, and that's why you're getting depressed, you're spinning off, right? Try to control your own chain of thoughts. What the microaggression trigger warning culture does is it actually grants value. The more you are offended, the more value you are granted. And therefore, you have actually an interest in being offended. We give you awards if you're offended. Right. You, you're, you're treasured if you're offended because it demonstrates that you're woke, right? You're, the more you are <laughs> offended, the more we can show that you are woke. And because you are woke, therefore, you're granted this virtue. You get to lord it over everyone else. I mean, I say in my speeches, if we could somehow identify, like, the LGBT, half black, half Hispanic, one quarter Native American, little person... You know, then we would finally have the, the person who we could go to to answer all of our questions because their identity would be unquestionable. It'd be Yoda. It, it, right. If we could find Yoda, we could just get rid of democracy <laughs> and discussion altogether. He could just rule from on high. He, she. I don't want to put a gender on Yoda. Right. I don't think Yoda's gender. Does Yoda? I guess I mean, it's Yoda's a, guy. a dude, right? It's got to be a guy or deep voice. Maybe we're being rude by insisting. I don't know. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There's, no, one is, uh, no one's left enough. Yeah, it's it's... I don't know where the limit is, uh, and it's, it, they're so far left that they've actually made common cause with the people they hate, right? So when they talk about safe spaces, and they say, we, we, at, at Missouri, you had all these black students protesting, and they actually said, we don't want white people who think like us and who want to help us in our safe spaces. We feel insulted by that. And I just thought to myself, well, the KKK agrees. Like, if you want to do safe spaces for separate races, I can find some Jim Crow racists who are totally up for that. From like 1962. Well, there's the uh, the really bizarre statement that I've heard over and over again that black people cannot be racist against white people because they don't have any power over white people. Yes. <sighs> wow. That, Which is just it's an, it's inane. I mean, it's an inane statement. This idea that you have to you have to have power in the superstructure in order for you to even to be racist. I can understand the argument if they said, look. You being racist is not connected to racist action. If you don't have the capacity for action that affects people, then your personal racism is not as important as the racism of people in power. That at least is an argument. Right. But the idea that you can't be racist at all if you're, if you're black because black people don't have enough power. First of all, the idea that black people have no power in the United States is 
utterly crazy. I mean, it's utterly crazy. Well, especially when it was going on while well, Obama was president, the, president. the attorney general was the, was president. <coughs> hey, I always said this about Baltimore. We kept hearing, you know, Baltimore, right, where they had the riots. They had, they had riots. And they were saying, well, the Baltimore PD, you know, they're, they're cracking down on black people. Okay, the chief of police was black. The majority of the city council was black and Democrat. The entire, the, the, the deputy, the district attorney who was prosecuting the case was black. The majority of the police department was minority. The attorney general of the United States was black. The president of the United States was black. But the majority of the city of Baltimore is black. But apparently it's the white guy's fault. Like, I just, at some point you're going to have to make your ideas actually work in concert with reality. I can't, I can't, like, do this with you. Do you ever step back and look at this trend and look at what's going on in popular culture and looking what's going on with identity politics and this war between the left and the right and wonder where it's going. I mean, how it feels like the, the people on the left are completely emboldened by the fact that you have this guy in office who has said things like grab him by the pussy and he lies all the time and makes fun of people's plastic surgery. And you, you think that having this guy in, in this position I guess, uh, in some way, emboldens them and makes them even more convinced the fact they're right. You know, fight, put up the resistance and mm -hmm. hashtag resistance, hashtag resist. It's all over the place. Where does this go? I think, well, no place good. I think what's happening, and it's one of the things that I personally am not a fan of, and this goes all the way back to the Piers Morgan debate that you mentioned. I mean, I started off that debate with Piers Morgan saying to him, you don't get to attribute intent to me that I don't have, right? right? You're standing on the graves of the kids of Sandy Hook in order to promote your political agenda, implying I don't care enough about dead kids because I don't agree with you. That is the sweet spot where a lot of people like to live, which is if we disagree on politics, it's because you're an asshole. Right. Right? It's, not, it's not because we disagree on the best method to get to the goal or we have different goals. It's because you're a bad person. And I think that what you're seeing is with Trump, there's an attempt to cast all of his voters as people who love all of the things that are bad that he does and says. It's not that they voted for him because they thought Hillary Clinton was the worst presidential candidate in the history of America, which is true, right? So they, they voted for him because they liked the grab him by the P word stuff, right? They voted for him because they liked that he's vulgar and he lies a lot. They voted for him because they are bad people, right? They are, this is why people misread, I think, Hillary Clinton's deplorable speech. Yeah, the, the implication was, okay, everybody who voted for Trump is a bad human being. They tried this with Romney, too. I mean, they tried to castigate Romney, who's Whatever you can say about Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney was maybe the most honorable person ever to run for the presidency. They tried to cast him, as Joe Biden said, a guy who wants to put y'all back in chains. And he said that he he straps dogs to the top of his car. He's an evil, nasty guy. Did he really say Ro that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a big issue in the campaign. He straps dogs? So there was, there, was a, there was a story, I think it was in the Boston Globe, <laughs> about how like back in 1982, he went on a family vacation. And when they were traveling, he put the dog in a cage and put the dog on the top of his car. And this was, and this was like a big campaign issue, right? You remember Binders Full of Women? And yeah, you remember, remember what he's, that. remember in the, the 47% number, uh, right, don't, exactly. don't pay attention right, to He's them. mean, he hates the poor, yeah. he hates women. The binders full of women thing was particularly stupid because the entire point he was making is that I was trying to recruit women to my administration so they would bring binders full of female resumes to me right. so I could staff more women. And they turned it into binders full of women. He's like, Hugh Hefner. Yeah, yeah. Mitt Romney? Like, really? So right. th this attempt to castigate the other side is, is really bad. And I think that you see some of that on the right, but I think it's more reactionary. I think that, that the unearned moral superiority that the left likes to kind of wallow in, I think that's, that's more on the left than on the right, although I think that there is an attempt by some on the right now in response to, to do some of that. Well, it becomes these sticking points that you use to win. 
you know, and it, it becomes uh, something that people repeat over and over again, you know, like the deplorable thing. Or, Racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe. Yeah. yeah. It's just, well, I was walking down New York City, uh, down the street, uh, right after Trump won when they were protesting, and there was this guy right next to me fucking screaming. He wasn't even in the actual parade itself. He was, like, on the sidewalk, but he was screaming, Donald Trump, KKK, racist, sexist, anti-gay. Yep. He had just boiled it down to this thing. But the best part about it was he saw a black guy coming towards him and he just started screaming, black lives matter, black <laughs> lives matter. And I just, I, you, it just, I saw him, I saw his soul. Like in, yeah. that, in that one move, exactly. that shift to screaming black lives matter when he saw a black guy. Like yeah, exactly. The whole thing was just. Well, there's the intersectionality for you, right? You know, you have to know how to appeal to every racial group on yeah. the, on the basis of a stereotype. It could have been Thomas Sowell. He wouldn't have known. Yeah. It's almost like the, the laziness in uh, having the ability to communicate is one thing, but having the ability to s express a complete thought that covers something as nuanced and as complex as American politics in 2017, that's too hard. So let's just yell out, Donald Trump, KKK. And it, this... This ability to like boil down what's the difference between the left and the right to like a little statement is or, you know, a bucket of deplorable basket of deplorables, mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, but binders of women. It's so tempting because it's like it's so powerful that it works. You can put it on the back of a bumper sticker. 